Our text this morning comes from Ruth chapter 1, the verses 16 and 17. And in order to get a handle of the context around that, we will read Ruth 1. This is the word of the Lord. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Kilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. And she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, If I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, 
and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And our text is the verses 16 and 17, which we will read once more. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. So far, the word of the Lord. After the sermon, we will sing together Psalm 73, stanzas 7 and 8. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how seriously do we take the communion of saints? Is it important to you that when you worship, that you do so in the presence of other Christians who hold the same faith, the same confession as you? Do we have a responsibility as covenant members to gather together with the other members of God's covenant? The book of Ruth is a story that begins with a member of God's covenant who thought that he could go off on his own. His name was Elimelech. And that name is quite ironic because his name means my God is king. But his name meant little to him. He did what he thought was right in his own eyes. And what seemed right to him was to move out of the promised land and into the land of the pagans, away from God's covenant people. In a way, Ruth's confession, which is our text, is the exact opposite of what Elimelech decided to do when he left Israel. By this confession, Ruth commits herself to God, since by God's grace she understands that true blessedness is to be found among God's people. And so I bring you the word of God under the following theme and points. God's blessings are to be found among his people. And we'll see two things. First of all, Naomi separates herself from God's people. And second of all, Ruth is joined to God's people. So the first point, Naomi separates herself from God's people. As a story... The book of Ruth is fairly easy to digest. The characters are realistic, they're relatable, there's a clear conflict, a clear climax, a resolution, and even a happy ending. But even though all this might be true, we would be missing the point if we did not see God's hand behind all of what's going on here, and also why God would include this story for us. Ultimately, Ruth is a story about God preparing for Jesus Christ. Boaz and Ruth are the great-grandfather and the great-grandmother of King David, who is the ancestor of Jesus Christ. So it is indeed very ironic that from a man who didn't believe, my God is king, came our Savior, 
who is both God and king. So how was it then that Elimelech made such a poor decision to leave the promised land and go to Moab? How does an Israelite become convinced that going to Moab of all places is a good idea? You remember that the nation of Moab came from the immoral relationship between Abraham's nephew Lot and his daughter shortly after they escaped from Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember also that Balak, king of Moab, brought Balaam to come and curse Israel while they were on their way to the promised land. And shortly after that, that Moabite women had come out to seduce the Israelite men and cause them to sin. So how on earth does an Israelite get the idea that moving to Moab is the right thing to do? Well, we need to consider the historical context of Ruth. And the Bible tells us two things. First of all, there was a famine in the land. And second of all, this book takes place in the time of the judges. And these facts do more than give us an indication of when these events took place. These two things are a theological assessment of Israel at that time. And the assessment is quite poor. We'll read from Deuteronomy 28, the verses 15 to 19. Here Moses is describing the curses of the covenant. There, there, the word of God says this. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket, and cursed your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. So you see that a, a famine, a curse on the produce of the land, came with a message. And the message is this, that you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God, and that now you need to repent of your sins. And in Judges 21, verse 25, Scripture tells us that in those days, that is the days when the judges ruled, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So Israel had come under judgment because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God. And instead of doing what was right in God's eyes, they chose to do what was right in their own eyes. And instead of repenting then, and asking God to provide for his daily needs, Elimelech seeks food not from the house of bread, which is what Bethlehem means, but in the fields of Moab. To understand this decision, we've got to get into Elimelech's head a little bit. At that time, people thought that the power of a god was limited to the nation that worshipped that god. And so Elimelech is thinking of the one true God of all creation. He's thinking of him in pagan terms. And he thinks that if he goes to Moab, maybe he can escape this covenant curse of God that brought the famine. Well, he could not escape. 
God's curse found Elimelech in the fields of Moab, and there Elimelech died. Which brings us to Naomi and her two sons. If there had been any disagreement, if there had been any second guessing about moving to Moab and the wisdom of that decision, then now would be the time to repent. Now that Elimelech has died, now would be the time to return to Israel. But that's not what happened. Instead, they settle down in the land, and her sons, Malon and Kilian, take wives for themselves, Ruth and Orpah. And God allows them to live like this for 10 years. But it is apparently 10 years without a single child. And that's yet another curse that we read from Deuteronomy 28. So God has shown to be very patient with his people. He allowed them 10 years, 10 years to see their sin, to read the curses as it were, and to repent. Naomi and her sons, they should have known, they should have recognized their sin, but they chose to remain separated from God's covenant people and to live in conflict with God's law. And so Naomi's two sons died, and she was left with her two daughters-in-law. And now Naomi is in a very dangerous situation. There is no man to care for her, and she has no protection. In addition to this fact, she is now a widow too old to remarry. Under these circumstances, a woman of that time is in a terrible position. She has no livelihood, she has no safety, she has no nation, and she has no hope. Worst of all, her walk of faith is suffering badly in her separation from God's people. Well, one way or another, Naomi does receive word that God had visited Bethlehem with some food. So the town is now true to its name once again. It is a place where you can find bread. And so Naomi does what she and her family had done some 10 years ago. She goes where the food is. And this is not a decision that she makes by faith in God. There's no joy in it. She doesn't mention anything about God's salvation in her life or his blessings. Naomi seems to think that God's blessings are for everybody but her. She has no personal faith. She understands that good things come from God. She has a theological understanding that God does show kindness. But she thinks that the kindness, it stops when it comes to herself. She thinks that God's blessings cannot and will not reach her. She calls him Lord. She calls him Almighty. And so she understands that he is faithful and that he is powerful to do all that he wishes. But she does not really believe that God has been good to her. She does not really believe that God will be good to her once again. And sometimes, especially during the hard times in our lives, that's the hardest thing about believing. You see, week after week, we come to church and you look to your left and your right and you see people and you think, man, they've got it all together. They know what they're doing. God's been good to them, we think, but then when we think of our own lives, we've got all this messiness, we've got problems, 
We've got sins that aren't going away. And it's so easy to end up becoming bitter, very much like Naomi in our text. You see, Naomi was forgetful of the fact that God had redeemed her from Egypt before she was even born. So also we can forget that God has given us the greatest gift ever known in Jesus Christ, His Son. The reality is that true faith is not just a belief that God is good to other people. In Lord's Day 7 of our Heidelberg Catechism, we confess that it's a firm confidence not only to others, but also to me and also to each one of you that God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation out of mere grace only for the sake of Christ's merits. So the eyes of faith, the eyes of true faith can see past bereavement It can see past the famines in our lives, and it finds its rest in the promises of God, in the truth that God has promised salvation for you and for me. Well, in addition to Naomi's despair over her life, she also pushes away the people who are outside of God's covenant people, people who are outside the church, you could say. And I'll read verse 8 and 9, and verse 15 of Ruth 1 once again. This is what Naomi says in verse 8. Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. And then moving on to verse 15, now she's speaking only to Ruth, and she said, look, Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Well, Naomi is thinking of physical bodily rest for her daughters-in-law, who she is very fond of. And so she tells them to go find new husbands from the house of Moab, from the land of Moab. But verse 15 makes it clear that she did not expect them to worship the Lord in the land of Moab since she realizes that Orpah has gone back to worship her old pagan gods and she presses Ruth. She presses Ruth to return into pagan idolatry. Naomi seems to think that worshiping the gods of Moab is just as good as worshiping the one true God of the world. And so this member of God's covenant has not only separated herself from the people of God to her own harm, but even more than that, she is pushing people away from God, pushing people away from the faith. So Naomi's bitterness has become a real problem, both for herself and for her daughters-in-law. She has done a poor job of reflecting the goodness of God and the blessing of being among his people. And so we too ought to think about how we reflect the goodness of God in our own lives. Is the character of our speech like that in Psalm 122, which we sang before the sermon began? It says there, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Is it gladness that people hear when we speak of the church? Or is it bitterness? We've got to understand that people outside the church, they form their opinions about the church partly based on what they hear us say. The world needs to hear that the church is a place to find spiritual rest, rest for our souls. 
And if we're all caught up in the negatives, if we're all caught up in personal conflicts, what has that brother done to me? What has that sister said to my family? If we only think about the negatives in our lives, then how can we expect anybody outside the church to form a positive view of the church and become convinced that the assembly of God's people is the place to seek out spiritual rest? So speak well of the church, brothers and sisters, for the sake of of your neighbors. Consider that when you speak about the church, when you speak about your faith, that God could be using you. He could be using you to bring people into the church. We would do well to remember that. So we come to our second point. Ruth is joined to God's people. So Orpah and Ruth had been married into the family of Elimelech for about 10 years. And during that time, it is quite likely that they would have heard all the stories that we know from the early chapters of the Bible. Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all of it. They would have been presented with the gospel so far as God had revealed it. But even though these two women had equal exposure to God's word, we see that there are two different responses to it. Orpah, being focused on worldly things and seeking safety and security in this life, she accepts Naomi's bitter logic. And so she returns home and she has nothing further to do with God's people. On the other hand, is the response of Ruth. The response that can only come from God. See, Ruth makes this confession of faith as a rebuttal to the bitterness of Naomi. And this really is the height of the chapter because the whole chapter leads up to this point. It's the climax of the chapter. In spite of the famine in Israel, in spite of the godlessness of God's people at that time, in spite of Elimelech's sinful decision, in spite of the death of her husband, And in spite of her mother-in-law's bitterness, God has still worked faith in the heart of Ruth. So you see that God can overcome every obstacle that there is to faith. And this gives us great comfort as we seek to present the gospel to the world. Because we know that we are weak. And we know that we are sinful. And when we try to present the gospel to the world, that's going to come out. But whatever our shortcomings might be, we know that God can overcome all these obstacles. That God is the one who works faith in the hearts of people. And so it is that while Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, Ruth clings to Naomi. For Ruth, Naomi is her link to salvation. Naomi is her link to God's people and her path to finding God's blessings in her life. And we're reminded of another woman who we find clinging later on in the Bible. We know of Mary who clung to Jesus after he was raised from the dead. See, Naomi tries to push Ruth away and he tells her to go back to her old life. But Jesus does no such thing. Naomi only thinks to seek out Worldly security, money, food, shelter, 
rest and all the rest, but Jesus does not focus on such things. In fact, he himself had no place to lay his head, and he knew that his ministry would end up with him on the cross. He knew also that all his disciples, all his followers would suffer on his account. But he doesn't say, follow the Orpah in your life. He doesn't say, may the Lord bless you while you go after all your old ways of life. No. Christ has called us out of that old life and into a new life. Instead of material blessings, he promises us spiritual blessings, heavenly blessings, and he gives us rest for our souls. He tells us to leave the things tying us to this world behind and to follow after him. This requires a response of faith. And this is a faith which God has worked in Ruth and which God works in people today also. So it is by faith that Ruth tells Naomi to stop. Naomi's sinful nature is tempting Ruth to leave, but by God's grace, Ruth is having none of it. She says, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. See, Ruth is specially committed to Naomi. She could choose to go her own way. Doesn't have to go back to Moab. She could go into Israel and perhaps marry into the Israelite community. Instead, she takes responsibility for Naomi's well-being. I'm going to go where you go, she says. I'm going to live where you live. My first concern is not about having a husband or a home or a future. I'm leaving that old life behind and I'm starting a new one now. And this new life includes being your close companion for better or for worse. That's Ruth. Well, it's hard to know how Naomi feels about this. Her reaction is to stop speaking with her daughter-in-law. She says no more. However, we know that when she returns to Bethlehem with Ruth, she's still quite bitter. Naomi may not be pushing people away from herself, but she still can't see joy. She calls herself Mara, which means bitter. So there's still some work left to be done on Naomi. God hasn't given up on her, and you can see that in the later chapters of Ruth. But as bitter as Naomi is, Ruth is not going to abandon her. So now Ruth's personal attachment to Naomi is not enough of a break with her old life to satisfy Ruth. Ruth is not content simply to be a Moabite, worshiping Moabite gods, but living among the Israelite people. She says, your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. So her commitment to Naomi goes beyond even the bonds of family. This is more than a daughter-in-law taking care of her mother-in-law. This is a believer cutting off their old way of life in favor of the new life that God has given. Ruth is saying that I'm no longer a Moabite woman. I no longer identify with that people who came from immorality, that people who tried to tempt Israel to sin. I'm not going to worship their gods anymore. 
because I believe that God can give me a new life and a new identity. And Ruth is right. Those who put their faith in God, they do have a new identity. Those who have faith in Christ are, by God's Spirit, able to clothe themselves with Christ. And this applies to all believers, whether lifelong Christians or recent converts. All of us sin. But as Christians, we're no longer defined by our sin. We're no longer defined by idolatry, by blasphemy, by anger, by dishonoring authority, by not keeping the Lord's day holy. Christians are no longer murderers, thieves, sexually immoral, liars, murderers, or coveters. That old self has died. It's been taken away from us, and it has been crucified with Christ. In its place, the new life, the Christ-like life, now lives in us, and it takes shape more and more. When we call ourselves Christians, we are saying to the church that your people are my people, and your God is my God. I really believe that God has given me a new identity in Christ so that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So Ruth finishes her confession by making it a lifelong commitment in the form of an oath. There's no back-out clause in what she says. No matter what happens regarding their material blessings, death alone may part Ruth from Naomi. Usually, this kind of commitment is reserved for marriage. And you can think of those who have been newly married. They have made this commitment, this vow, to care for one another for as long as they both shall live. This is the weight of the seriousness with which Ruth takes this oath. Her profession of faith is as serious to her as marriage. It was for her and it should be for us too. So that's why we ask members who are doing their profession of faith if they will firmly resolve to commit their whole lives to the Lord's service as a living member of His church. Such a commitment should prevent us from going off on our own from going off away from the church and away from God's people. You see, Elimelech was a man who thought that he could separate himself from God's people. By his actions, he showed that he had no commitments to God's people. And his wife, Naomi, shows that she thinks our old life is just as good as the new life. You don't really need a new life. But being a Christian is more than a matter of what family you're born into. And it's more than having your name on the membership list of a church. This identity that we have in Christ, it includes a lifelong commitment to God and a lifelong commitment to the believers of the church. We share a deeply personal bond with one another. So then when we speak of God or when we speak of the church, Let's let our words speak of this new identity, of the hope that we have in Christ. And let's let our words concerning the church be gracious 
and full of joy. Amen.